0: I am Jeff Gunther, I'm a licensed professional counselor in Portland, Oregon. I've been a therapist since 2005.
1: Jeff Gunther is better known to millions on TikTok as At Therapy Jeff.
0: Self-care can be problematic and this is why. Me-
1: he began posting on TikTok in September of 2021.
0: I like a lot of people were sort of just scrolling through TikTok for the last couple of years, bored, um, trying to pass the time during the pandemic.
1: During that time, he noticed many young people using TikTok and Instagram to share personal stories dealing with mental health. It inspired him to post too. And At Therapy Jeff was
0: born. I was like, you know what? I feel like I know how TikTok works. <laughs> and it was just sort of like, I was, it was a challenge to myself just being like, I wonder if I can make content that's useful and that people would enjoy.
1: He made a couple of
0: posts, but they didn't capture a following. But then the fourth piece of content, I was like, I'm gonna give the people what they want, and that one just like went viral. Did you know that you can ask your therapist anything? It's true. I'm a therapist. Ask me anything. It was kind of like how you know five questions to ask your therapist if you're in therapy, something kind of basic. And the rest is history.
1: 1.2 million followers on TikTok and another 200,000 on Instagram. I guess the people really did want it.
0: So it just sort of took off from there and. I got really into the views and the likes, (laughs) and I'm trying to like be really conscious about what content I'm creating and what I'm saying.
1: His posts cover everything from knowing the difference between a functional and dysfunctional relationship to sibling dynamics, and even what you should know about your therapist's politics. More self-help advice than what is considered traditional therapy. At Therapy Jeff says, these platforms provide a safe space to process mental health issues. It's also free and anyone can listen, watch and learn, but it has its limits and a lot of caveats.
0: I'm like trying to make sure that people know that TikTok or Instagram is not therapy and it shouldn't be a replacement for therapy. Uh, A lot of times though, I'm also just sort of like trying to validate and normalize all of our experiences. We're all just sort of like being traumatized by everything that's happening in the world. And so I'm trying to like be like, it's okay if you're feeling exhausted or scared or angry or overwhelmed, or if you just want to tune out and avoid everything that's going on.
1: Being a licensed therapist who uses social media to give advice on mental health unleashes a ton of questions. Should a therapist be sharing their beliefs openly with millions of people? Should they allow their personality to come through? Or should they remain a blank slate as in traditional therapy? And how does their content impact the clients they currently care for? Sure, it can help people, but does this kind of online advice also pass the do no
0: harm test? My clients like 90% of them have seen my social media posts. Uh, For them, that can be pretty weird because I'm also like talking about personal things every once in a while. And you're hearing about my like deep core values and beliefs. And a lot of times like you don't get to hear all those things about your therapist. And there's good reason why you might not hear about those things from your therapist.
1: Jeff thinks social media allows us to change the way we view our relationship with therapy in a good way. But it has raised questions from some of his clients.
0: I think it's okay for a therapist to be transparent about how they feel and what they think and what their beliefs and politics are so that the client can feel safe expressing however they're feeling. But that's really sort of like thrown my clients for a loop and I've had to have a lot of conversations about how they feel about that and make sure that everything is okay.
1: Furthermore, Jeff says that the boundaries between his personal and professional life have been affected by his popularity.
0: I get dozens, hundreds of messages every day, every week, with people being like, here's my problem, what can you do, can you help me? Can you be my therapist? And so, yeah, it's really blurred this sort of line of like them just sort of like reaching out or thinking that it's appropriate to reach out to any therapist on social media when that's not, we can't, I can't respond to those. I just don't have enough time in the day and it's also like unethical and not okay for me to do that.
1: But at Therapy, Jeff also says his posts have sparked people to seek out help in real life.
0: I've gotten so many messages from people being like, oh, um, I like your vibe. I like what you're doing. I like what you're saying. And it inspired me to go find a therapist. The social media has become this like hub, or partly at least, where it's not just like doom scrolling, but you can actually feel a little better, be a little bit more conscious or aware of how you're thinking and how that's affecting your life.
1: For all its potential good, there are lingering questions. Is social media really a place to share, consume, and advise on mental health? Today on the show, is social media breaking down barriers for therapy or simply creating more confusion and problems? I'm Mary C. Curtis, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next? TBD a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. The dawn of COVID saw an uptick in mental health content creators like Jeff. With a shared experience of a global pandemic and everyone being forced inside, people took to social media to share their thoughts and anxieties, finding communities with similar experiences. Lindsay Lee Wallace recently wrote about the growing trend of mental health content creation for State of Mind, a new partnership of Slate and Arizona State University on mental health. She points to COVID as a catalyst for the movement.
2: Certainly the pandemic pushing everybody inside and pushing everybody even more online than we already were created a, a moment where a lot of people needed mental health help, and also a moment where a lot of mental health professionals couldn't see their clients in person anymore and were already trying to figure out how to do regular therapy online. So social media became a more natural extension of ourselves. And then for those people, probably a more natural place to start sharing that information as well.
1: Social media makes it easier than ever to spread mental health and wellness. But social media is also like the Wild West with no limits and boundaries.
2: You can't talk about, you know, mental health information on social media without talking about accessibility and the lack of accessibility of mental health resources and traditional therapy. So, a lot of that information that's online now, people who might otherwise never have been able to access it can now, but there is also obviously a lack of regulation and a lack of oversight to who is sharing what and who is accessing it. You kind of never know exactly what video is going to reach a whole lot of people and whether that's going to be exactly the one that has all of the appropriate context and all the appropriate disclaimers for an audience of millions of people who have vastly varying mental health situations and needs and will all understand it from a different place.
1: It's interesting you're talking about the different needs because it seems like the goal in social media and therapy, there might be a conflict because this sort of reads like content creation in the form of therapy. And when we think about content creation, we think about following trends and building an audience and all of those things. Uh, So does this mindset affect the kind of care that a therapist provides?
2: There have always been therapists who had, you know, more public personas. There's there's Dr. Ruth and there's, you know, for better or for worse Dr. Phil. The idea of somebody with a more public platform discussing mental health topics has always been with us and while people turning to social media are going to have sort of a different experience of that and I think that at the same time being immersed in the community, I guess, of mental health content creators you see what is trending and you see what diagnoses are being discussed. And I know that a lot of the therapists I spoke to said that they try to avoid talking about a specific diagnosis or listing specific symptoms because they don't want to give information that is going to make somebody feel like, oh, you know, this therapist diagnosed me with this over TikTok, because that's not, that's not the same as a real therapeutic relationship. I know that some of the some of the therapists that I spoke to said that their audiences will even urge them if there's a particular mental health topic that's really trending in the news, they'll urge them to talk about that. And obviously, if you know that you're going to get more engagement and if your goal with engagement is to reach people and help people, then that can definitely feel complicated because when are you doing it to expand your reach to help people? And when are you doing it to grow your platform as a content creator in a more abstract and like maybe less straightforwardly virtuous way?
1: Therapists are taught to paint themselves as a blank slate, but for many therapists who make content on social media, this is an outdated way to view the therapist-client relationship. Social media provides a new avenue for therapists to open up to their clients.
2: It's not a totally new thing, but also social media is absolutely its own animal. And, you know, we have research that says that it encourages self-disclosure for everyone, and that includes therapists. And they have traditionally been encouraged to kind of present themselves as a blank slate to facilitate the client being able to project onto them or not, you know, having their experience muddied by what the therapist's experience might be. And that, that dynamic is definitely in conflict with the relationships that social media creates. But there are also a lot of, a lot of therapists who said that the blank slate standard can seem really outdated and it can hinder certain people's experiences in therapy. If you, for example, right now are hoping to discuss your thoughts or experiences with abortion in therapy, and you don't know what your therapist's stance is on that, then it can make your experience feel a lot more dangerous, or it can even practically make it more dangerous. So I think that the idea that you want to have as little information about your therapist as possible is understandable from a certain perspective, but not necessarily practical for a lot of people. And then when social media comes into play and therapists are weaving in their own life experiences naturally with the mental health information that they're sharing, it definitely creates what can feel like a closer relationship between the people consuming that information who wouldn't be their clients, but are there are there they are in some kind of mental health relationship with those therapists.
1: It's interesting because therapists were going through COVID, the pandemic and isolation as well. So aren't they going through some of the same things uh, that the folks they're talking to have been going through? And how does that affect that relationship?
2: That was a point that uh, when I spoke to Wale Okurai, who is also a therapist who is kind of, um, she said she's kind of wary of TikTok, but she does share information on Instagram that she brought up that this is a moment of immense shared experience beyond what is generally the case for therapists and their clients. So it was kind of like a a leveling of the playing field in a really massive way between therapists and the people seeking therapy from them that created sort of the, the beginning of like, is this blank slate standard even reasonable at all? If we can all acknowledge that we're experiencing this terrifying thing at the same time, like how could I expect my therapist to act like it's not true Um, And I think that for therapists to know that their clients understand that that's something they're experiencing too, I think can make it a lot easier to know that your therapist is also a human being. Your therapist is a person for whom this is their job and jobs can be very overwhelming and stressful. We all experienced, you know, the way that the workplace shifted with the pandemic. And that is also true for the person who is trying to support your mental health
1: is there evidence that social media therapy is effective are there stories of of it really helping someone with their mental health or, or on the other hand i guess you could say or harming them to either
2: all of the therapists who i spoke to were very quick to draw the distinction of social media is not therapy and they you know want to make sure that they have that disclaimer to protect people who see their content and to protect themselves because You can't create, you know, the traditional therapeutic relationship that you need to have to address somebody's own specific problems or own specific situation over social media where you don't have a a personal relationship with individual people and also where you're not being compensated for your time by individual people. It's purposefully less specific information that hopefully might inspire people to connect with resources or with a therapist if that's within their means but at the end of the day it's it's not as you know tailored to you one of the therapists who i spoke to was talking about how specifically for her it's been really meaningful to connect with other latino people over social media because she's trying to overcome in her own life and as a therapist with her clients some of the things that she thinks are particularly hard to talk about in therapy but can be easier to share information about on social media and one of the things that she discussed with me was that she thinks that there are certain experiences that if you are one-on-one with a therapist might be embarrassing to talk about or might be shameful to talk about but that if you see a post about them then that could be something that makes you feel you know i'm in the privacy of my own home i don't feel called out about this necessarily but i can process this information without feeling scrutinized about it. And I can come to a conclusion that might lead me to seek further help, but I might be seeking that help from a place where I've already put some thought into this rather than one where I'm gonna automatically feel defensive, for example.
1: There are some tricky questions to address in mental health content on social media. How do you apply the ethics of the profession to an unregulated space? The American Psychological Association did release guidelines on how to conduct yourself on social media as a mental health professional, but they're a bit dated.
2: The guidelines that they released are not terribly relevant to the current social media landscape, they're not terribly relevant to the actual issues that people might be encountering if they're trying to share mental health information online, they don't mention Instagram or TikTok. The main example that they give is um, this website, chronology.com, which their copyright was last updated in 2013. No one has updated that site or its Facebook page or anything since 2016. But these guidelines, you know, point to this website, which at one point in time does appear to have been, you know, a, a meaningful place for people to connect and share information about Crohn's disease, and and, um, sort of some other autoimmune disorders as well. But it's not functioning that way now. And the fact that these guidelines from the APA would point to this website as its main example sort of give me the sense that they're not as in
1: touch as they should be. While social media does remove some of the barriers to accessing mental health resources, giving people and communities new outlets and opportunities, it's far from a perfect solution.
2: I definitely think that it's it's a pro and a con. I know that's like a cop-out answer. <laughs> if you think about who is on TikTok and Instagram, it's generally, it's going to be young people and it's going to be young people from, uh, you know, many more walks of life than have historically been able to access therapy. But the people who they're going to find sharing information on those platforms are going to have been subject to the same algorithmic forces that decide who does the best on those platforms generally. So it has been pointed out many times that white creators tend to do better on TikTok and Instagram than black and brown creators. And if you are a you know person who relates to their experiences and you find them on social media, and that connects you with mental health information for the first time, then that might be more useful for you than if that's not your identity. And those are the only therapists whose information you come across, because that's what the algorithm is selecting for. But of course, that's not going to be the only experience. And there are many people for whom, you know, finding mental health information on social media from somebody whose identity they do share or from somebody whose identity they don't has still started their, you know, even if it didn't lead them to connect with a the therapist necessarily it started their experience of paying more attention to their own mental health which is still you know it's meaningful and it's important
1: and let's face it in a healthcare system where people pay exorbitant fees mental health advice on social media is free
2: but i think that in terms of i mean the biggest barrier to or one of the biggest barriers to accessing therapy that i i've had and that people i know that i've talked to have had is just that it's very expensive navigating your insurance can be a minefield. Therapists are extremely booked out right now and social media doesn't help with those things. It doesn't make therapy more affordable and it doesn't give therapists more availability. So I think that if it's, you know, a lot of the therapists who I spoke to described it as a really great starting point for people to become interested in pursuing, you know, understanding their own mental health better and getting help. But A starting point doesn't take you anywhere if you still can't afford therapy or or you still can't afford to connect with whatever resources are going to be most helpful for you.
1: Yeah, it's not that magic uh, solution to all the problems. Now, of course, when you talk about social media, you got to talk about the disinformation problem. And in reading your piece and thinking about it, it's not hard to imagine someone getting some shoddy mental health advice from someone who's not all that credible via social media. So do do people face the risk of receiving bad information from un, uncredible sources? And when it comes to therapy, that's the stakes are pretty high.
2: I don't think that there's a reason why people shouldn't be allowed to talk about their own mental health experiences online if they are not therapists. But I think that when you Ascribe your own experiences to a large group of people, and you say, you know, to your your large platform, this is true for everyone, or these symptoms indicate this experience. Then it can be that can be really damaging because you don't know any of the people who are consuming what you're saying. You don't know if that's true for them, and you don't know if that could potentially even be really damaging for them. I think that there are always going to be opportunistic people who find an opportunity to make money off of people who want help. And with mental health information, that's even more fraught because it's a healthcare issue and you're, you're potentially peddling, you know, snake oil to, to people who are in a really bad way and who don't have access to any other help.
1: I know it is it is the case for me that those years of isolation did lead to quite a bit of self-reflection and and maybe people looking inward and thinking, well, maybe I do need to do something to reach out to, to get some help.
2: I definitely think that the pandemic has, I mean, if nothing else, it's created time for self-reflection. Um, it's also created, you know, it's created very frightening circumstances that have, that are in and of themselves sufficient causation for trauma and for mental health issues in people who maybe didn't have them before or who weren't considering them before. So I would definitely say that it's been a moment where a lot of people have realized that they need to take their mental health more seriously. They need to get help with it or just consider it more. Um, and like we sort of discussed before, it's also been an opportunistic moment for either individual people who realize that they could go onto social media and you know garner a following of people who have had realizations about mental health and be able to make money off of that, or for health tech startups who have, you know, suddenly created the perfect formula to do therapy via an app or whatever. Um, it's, it's created like a, a marketplace of people who badly need help with mental health issues. And those who are rising to meet that demand have all kinds of motivations. And a lot of them are eager to help and a lot of them want to make money.
1: Yeah. And I, I think what you've just said, you got to realize we're not going back. Yeah. that, you know, so since we aren't, how do we navigate this? I always want to point toward the future solutions. How do we navigate providing healthcare and using social media responsibly? What do you think?
2: I would say that making sure that the person you're getting your information from is qualified is, that's important. It's not the only step because there are people who can have all kinds of letters after their names who still might be taking advantage of you or not sharing information that is going to be helpful for you specifically. It's always going to be important to be critical of what you're looking at on social media, whether it's pertaining to mental health or any other, any other topic. So bringing that critical lens to mental health information on social media, while you're also allowing it to, you know, give you, give you tips if you need those tips or, you know, letting you say, this doesn't apply to me, this isn't helpful for me and, and, scrolling by it or, you know, blocking an account that is sharing stuff that for you is not helpful. That's always going to be the way that we need to engage with social media. And that's going to be the case for mental health information as well.
1: And, and to, I think, remind people that there could be consequences when you're not that careful, when you don't do that due diligence.
2: I think that being able to keep an eye out for somebody who seems like they're trying to take advantage of you is important.
1: Yeah. And I guess as an old school person and a little bit of a cynic, you want to make sure that when people may be vulnerable, that they are going to be careful as well and not overestimate their ability to see through things.
2: Absolutely. It's always going to be the case that you might find something on social media during a low moment that helps you, or you might find something that makes you feel worse. One of the therapists I spoke to shared a story of a client who after she had posted something that from her perspective was designed to discuss how it was not helpful for her as a therapist and as an eating disorder recovery coach to share information about her daily diet, she said she received a message from somebody telling her that 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 post had inspired them to finally start trying to lose weight. That is not at all the message that she generally tries to put across in her content and wasn't the message of that post. But she said that Something she's realized more and more through sharing this information online is that people are going to get what they want to out of what you share to a certain extent. Like they, it is absolutely the responsibility of these creators to add disclaimers, to be careful, to, to avoid being overly specific with an audience that they do not know personally. And it's also always going to be the case that for some people, they are looking for something specific and they're going to find it in whatever they encounter.
1: And with a community on social media that's centered around mental health or a certain trauma, self-diagnosing can be a real issue that causes more harm.
2: A lot of the therapists that I spoke to said that it was a problem, and a lot of them also said that it's an access issue. And I think that self-diagnosis can be very empowering for people, especially people in the disability community, but it can also be damaging if you don't have access to adequate information about that diagnosis. You don't have access to resources to help you handle that diagnosis. I feel like it's very nuanced and it's a very case by case thing. And we know that social media is great at stripping away nuance.
1: Thank you so much for talking with me today, Lindsay.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Lindsay Lee Wallace is a writer based in New York who focuses on health inequity. That's it for the show today. TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Thanks for listening. I'm Mary C. Curtis, roll call columnist and host of its Equal Time podcast, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. You can follow me on Twitter at mcurtisnc3. We'll be back with more episodes.